It is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Traditionally, that is the Sunday of peace. We've got all four candles lit. Yay! If you want to see all five candles lit, you have to come back this evening. That's how it works. Last thing before Christmas is when you light all of them. So So we don't do a Christmas Day service annually. So that was the that's the traditional time to light the uh, the Christ candle. So the way we have done Christmas this year, it's less the emphasis on peace and more the emphasis on Christ. And that was kind of what the last couple of weeks have been, was building you up to this. This is kind of not a Christmas verse, but encompasses all of the pictures that we have been looking at. And, and here's the thing. I'm already tempting myself because I might be doing this again next year simply because there's, you know, only a few hundred more pictures of Christ in the Old Testament that we could look at. So, I mean, I'm debating going, you know, I might have Christmas planned out for the next few years and you have no idea how happy that makes me and how much peace that gives me because trying to plan out special things is the thing that I am absolutely worst in the world at. So, when it's already organized and I don't have to think about it and I just know what's coming next year, it's just like, ah. <sighs> And we all know that's the most important thing. So <laughs> so this morning, what we're going to look at is all of these pictures, as much as we can put all of the pictures together, how they come together in Christ. So if you're trying to get background on Luke 4, you're attesting to the character of Christ, which may seem like one of those obvious things because you go, well, he's sinless. Yes, I know that and you know that, but there's a very, very important question you have to answer. How do you know that? Because you can't, you don't just get to go there, well, God, or, or, see, that doesn't work. That worked when you were four in Sunday school and you don't know what to say, just say Jesus. But as an adult, you have to be able to think through some of this stuff and give a reason for the hope that lies within you. So you have to go to things like 2 Corinthians 5. He made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2. He made, oh no, that's the wrong verse. Oh no, I didn't realize my copying didn't work. You know what that means? You have to watch and see how good I am at finding Bible verses. Luckily, I'm halfway decent at it. (laughs) For you have been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. I have the right reference and I have the wrong verse in my notes. That's not very helpful at all, is it? So that's 1 Peter 2. Uh, 1 John 3, you know that he has appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Now, why did I want those three verses? This is why they're also in your outline. Um, 2 Corinthians, epistle of who? Who wrote that one? Paul. Paul. 1 Peter, who wrote that one? Peter. Peter. 1 John, who wrote that one? So it's almost like we have all the, all the disciples, all the apostles agreeing on something. Yes, we do. I always like to point this out to you, the continuity of Scripture, how you can have 60-plus books, you can have 40-plus authors, you can have 1,500-plus years, you can have one message because you have an ultimate author that is the Holy Spirit behind everything so that when you get to the end, what's the answer to your question? Jesus. This is why I always tell you, when you're reading your Old Testament, you sit there and go, why is this in here? Why is this weird picture here? Why are they doing this like that? Why is this history going like this? How does this get me to Christ? How does this explain who Jesus is? How does this explain what he is doing? How does this get me from loss in the garden to reclamation at the end of the age? How does, how does this get me from A to B? That's not the answer to all of your problems, but when you're reading your Old Testament, that's going to be your answer to a lot of the problems. Make sense? All right. So let's dive into this because this will be fun. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. Okay, a couple of notes. What do you mean return from the Jordan? Well, he has come from the baptism of John. So John has gone out into the wilderness. Well, maybe I should say it this way. Stop me if you heard this before. John has gone out into the wilderness. <laughs> Gee, because that's never happened in biblical history where the, where the faithful of God have gone out into the wilderness, never in the least. And he has been baptized by John, symbolizing Jesus's association with the people, his station as their leader, his station as Messiah, his representative before God. That's one part of this. The more important part of this is right there at the beginning. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. This is the hallmark of the ministry of Christ, is that you have a ministry that is led wholly and entirely by a dependence upon God's planning and God's accomplishing. This is one of the things that will help explain to you what's going on in the ministry of Jesus. Like, why does he know this? Why does he not know that? Why is he doing this? Why is he not doing that? The answer simply is 
This is the planning and purposes of God as explained by the Spirit, as empowered by God. This is part of the plan, and this is always part of the plan. Something you should remember moving forward, something you should remember even in your world today. Things like 1 Peter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, talking about the gospel of Christ, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we do this a lot. Romans 5, 1 Peter 1, James 1. We read through these a lot, and I'm always warning you about the difficulties of the world and the problems that come through with them. Why? Because last time I checked, the world didn't get any easier. Things are great now. Things may not be great now. Things may be terrible now. Things may be terrible tomorrow, but you're going to deal with the difficulties and the trials of life. Some of them are because of the pruning work of the Holy Spirit in your world, getting rid of your sin, getting rid of your idolatry, your dependence on the wrong thing. Some of them are, just wait for it, you live east of Eden. You live on this side of sin, and a corrupt world produces corruption. Sometimes you did nothing. Sometimes it's just a random Tuesday, and you don't know what just happened. That's just part of this world. To try and ignore that and act like everything is awesome, and it's going to be awesome all the time, is to forget the entirety of Scripture and the reality of sin in this world. It's not a place where we can rest. It's not a place that we can do anything functional. So I'm going to constantly remind you to lean on Christ, lean on the work of the Spirit, and recognize that you are accomplishing and working in spite of the sin in the world. So there's your first part. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. So, hmm, Messiah of God, Redeemer of the people, has now entered himself out into the wilderness. Because we wouldn't possibly be reminding you of anything that could have happened in your Old Testament. You, should, you wouldn't read that and go, hmm, where have I seen something like this before? So, verse 2, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Yay! So, uh, new phone, who's this guy? This is one of those difficult things to define sometimes in your Bible because we have a lot of unclear verses. So you can dig through things like Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Uh, really simple things I always tell people is when it comes to understanding things in your Bible, you have unclear verses and you have really, really clear verses. Always, always, always use the clear ones to make sense of your unclear ones. So trying to understand the character of Satan, where should we go? I don't know, maybe something like Genesis 3. Comes off like a real peach right there, doesn't he? Tempting the people of God, trying to get back at God. And if you want a really simple one, when Jesus gives you a simple declaration, go with that. So something like John 8. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Ooh, what are those? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So... Being tempted by the devil, probably not a happy place to be, probably not a place of rejoicing right now. So some difficulty is on the horizon, right? Yes. So for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. Can't imagine why. So no fellowship breakfast that day. <laughs> Everyone became hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. So again, one of those recurring themes why should you, you hear 40, what do you think of? You think Noah, you think Israel in the wilderness, right? Why, why are you thinking of these things? Why are these recurring themes there? Because what is Noah's work on the ark? It's an opportunity that while the rains are coming, who's preserving him on that ark? God is. In the midst of judgment, in the midst of, tr of trial, God is preserving. You have Israel in the wilderness because of their sin, wandering around for 40 years. Who is preserving them? God. Which, by the way, your Bible goes out of its way to make that point. Like Moses in his speech in Deuteronomy chastises the Israelites with that. God led you in the wilderness for 40 years. Your sandals didn't wear out. You wonder if that dawned on them. Can you imagine walking around in the desert for 40 years and your sandals are just fine? Like you never have to swing by a footlocker to get some new shoes. They're just, they're just good for 40 years. I have a hard time getting shoes to last for a couple of months, much less a couple of years. So imagine God's provision extending not just to water from the rock, not just, from the man, not just to the manna from heaven, not just to the springs that are found throughout, but to the fact that your clothes don't wear out and your shoes don't fall off for your entire life. That's the provision of God. That's the, what trusting in God will lead you to. Those examples are there so that when you see something like this, you'd go, hmm, 
provision of God, accomplishment of God. What should we expect now from the self-declared Messiah of God? We should expect some really good dependence and trust on God, right? So that's what you should be looking for, which by the way, <laughs> oh, come on. You can't leave us like that. <laughs> That's as bad as looking at people going, sweet Caroline. <laughs> and everybody's brain went, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no. Uh, why hungry? Well, because it's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. But why? Not just the connection there. Stop for a minute. Rewind yourself in your Bible. What were Israel's problems in the wilderness? Yeah, even with the provision of God, what's the complaint? You know, we got the manna and the quail was there, but you know, some cucumbers would be awesome. You know, we, we had leeks and garlic and whatever else was in that weird list of all the things to complain about. Like, you know you're hungry and looking for seasoning. We're like, oh, for garlic. <laughs> they wanted what? We're thirsty. We're hungry. We're tired. It's almost like the lusts of the flesh. The things that we want in the here and now are the biggest problems. Fast forward from the Exodus into the kingdom years. What's your problem with Israel? Why are we turning to the Baals? Why do we have the Asherah poles? Why do we have all these idolatrous cults coming into Israel? Well, we want a better harvest. We want our flocks to do better. We're not content to trust and rely on God. We need something else because what if, what if this year's crops fails? Who will preserve us? Who will hold us up? Who will keep the nation? It's, again, almost like the worries of the world and the problems of life around you just constantly crushing your spirit, forcing you, because of what you're trying to serve, to go after the wrong thing. The nation's idolatry. Go, a great example is Solomon. For all of his wisdom, for all of his advantages that were given to him by David. You bring these foreign women in and he sets up all these foreign shrines. Why? Let's be honest, guys. Peace and quiet. I mean, you only have a couple hundred wives. What do you want them to do? Stop nagging me, lady. Okay. Will this make you happy? All right, fine. <laughs> no man has ever done that in the history of humanity. Don't look at your wife. Don't look at, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> In other words, our desires for peace, our desires for comfort, and our desires to have them now cause our biggest problems. So that's why Jesus is hungry. He's at his weakest. He's at his loneliest. Put the rest of humanity throughout your Bible in that exact position. What's going to happen next? Idolatry and difficulties. So what's going to happen next? Verse 3. The devil said to him, warning, um, the game plan doesn't change. It doesn't change at all. So this is part of going all the way back to chapter 3. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, what was the problem with that statement? God said eat from every tree of the garden except for one. And Satan shows up and goes, did God really have the gall to tell you not to eat from any of these beautiful trees? See, it's already just a subtle twisting, which by the way, these are usable in so many aspects and avenues of life. I've told you this one before, so I'll just tell you again if you ever, um, you ever get into this situation. If you're ever at a conference or a big special event or something like that, or a special church service, and they ever have a speaker that like, do me a favor, look at your neighbor and tell them, and then they give you something to tell your neighbor. You know why they do that? It's, it's a psychological trick. It's a, it's a way of getting you to agree and do something they told you to do. And human beings, when we do something that someone tells us to do, we're more likely to believe other things that they say. It's, it's a way of actually knocking down your defense mechanisms. That's why you see traveling evangelists do it so often. Look at your neighbor and say, we don't like the devil. And everybody looks at the neighbor and goes, we don't like the devil. And you're automatically just kind of in this massive group thing. Isn't it so wonderful? Subtle twisting. Did God really say not to do that? No, no, no. God didn't say that. But what are you already doing? You're already questioning. You're already wondering. You're already engaged in the problem. You're not rebuking. You're not standing in the right place. You've got problems from the very beginning. Which, by the way, Christian, what's the cure for that moving forward in your world? This is why I tell you, you must anchor on Scripture. 
This is what your Old Testament actually gives you as a weapon moving forward. Things like Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. How does he not do this? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. You get the same idea in Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success which again by the way christian this is why your standard is what it is how will they know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another why do you call me lord and do not do what i say this is the commandment i give you that you love one another why because if that is the purpose of your life if that is the goal of your existence if that is what you are trying to accomplish you will be thinking and evaluating when always which means i don't have to worry about giving you a checklist because you will in that moment be thinking how do i glorify and honor god in the here and the now you'll have already done all the hard work and that life built on scripture that empowering by the holy spirit will come together and you will honor and serve god whom you love and who has redeemed you because this is what you are seeking to do. This is why the calls for the renewing of the mind, for the changing of the heart, is you live like this always. You don't need an external law with motivations and punishments and rewards. You have an internal motivation from the Spirit. You actually have a scripture that points to the Savior, and you actually know what you are supposed to do. Therefore, you will be prepared in the how to do it. So... This is where Satan starts. What's his challenge now? If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, is that really a direct temptation to sin? I mean, in a roundabout way, yes. But I mean, if you're hungry, is it a sin to have bread? No. If you're God, is it a sin to make bread? (laughs) I mean, if you are God and you're looking at the rock and you decide that you would like this rock to be bread, is that a problem? No, he can do that sort of thing. He has that kind of authority and that kind of power. And on top of that, you're actually hungry in your humanity. Humanity, But what is the problem here? Why is Jesus in the wilderness? Stop and answer this one correctly. Why is Jesus in the wilderness? Because he was led by the Spirit. Did the Spirit get lost? Does the Holy Spirit need a garment for Christmas? Give a, give a, give a garment. Give a, give a, give a garment. <laughs> I loved those commercials. I still sing that every time that's on the radio. Annoys my wife to death as they get to the end chimes and I go, Garmin.com, Garmin.com. <laughs> it's like, that's not how it goes. It is to me. <laughs> no, the Holy Spirit did not need a GPS. He does not need an update from Elon. He knows where he is going. So it's not an accident that Jesus has found himself in the wilderness. It is not an accident that he has been fasting for this period. It is not an accident that, it is, that he is hungry. It's exactly the point. Now, this is why going back to the beginning where we started. The plan of God being dependent upon the Holy Spirit is so important. If you forget that, now you look at the rock and be like, yes, make me some bread, people. Do you not know who I am? Which, if there was ever a person in humanity that could get away with that, it should be Jesus, right? Jesus should be allowed to walk in the room and go, don't you people know who I am? Come on now. Where's the bread? Where's the music? Somebody help me out here. I am hungry. Now, If Jesus were to act like that, what has he immediately done? We're no longer following the plan of God. We're following what? My hunger, my lusts, my desires, the thing that I want. Gee, kind of like the representatives of God before, kind of like the failures that humanity has had from the very beginning. No, 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 no. This is Philippians 2. This is an emptying of the independent function of Christ as God. This is a dependence upon the Spirit and a submission to the will of the Father. This is necessary that you actually be hungry when God says to be hungry. Now, to give you an example of what I mean when I talk about the failures of history, um, one of the things you can actually look at in your Old Testament is seeing God's representatives who are supposed to extend his dominion. We've covered this a little bit on Wednesdays. So this is Adam's job, right? To rule, un- rule in creation on God's behalf. What was the problem with that? Oops, ate the fruit. It was good for wisdom, desirable to the eye, so we ate the fruit. Noah. Noah is supposed to be a great prophet, extend the dominion of God. How'd Ham do? How did the children of Noah do? It's almost like we failed in our prophetic work to rightly communicate the commands of God. Um, Abraham. 
has been given this great promise by God. You're going to be, you know, blessing to the nations. Goes down to Egypt and he's like, you know, Pharaoh might kill me. Um, did, did, were, did I fall asleep? Didn't you just like five verses ago get promised to be a great nation? Pharaoh's not killing you, dude. What's Abraham more afraid of? People rather than God. Um, Isaac does the exact same thing with the men of Gerar. Jacob. Oh, Jacob. You know you're off to a bad start when your name literally means trickster or deceiver. Can't imagine why God needed to change that one. (laughs) Which, by the way, if you ever want to understand that whole wrestling match, that's kind of what's going on there. Before he gets the name Israel, what does God demand? Remember, God's knocked his hip out of socket. God's got him. Jacob's clinging for dear life because he is absolutely getting ragdolled by Jesus in this fighting match. And what does God demand of him? Tell me your name. You are broken. You are defeated. Who are you? I am the deceiver. I am the trickster. No, you're not. You are Israel. You are one who struggles and it will overcome by the grace of God. That's part of what's going on in that wrestling match. Moses. Moses speaks to the burning bush, does the miracles before the people, does the miracles before Pharaoh, crosses the Red Sea, calls down the manna from heaven, dishonors the name of God, and strikes the rock when he is not supposed to. Oops. <laughs> Why? Because he's angry. And he tells you that in Deuteronomy. Because you people rebelled against God, I did this stupid thing. It's like, <laughs> that's not how this works, dude. Um, David. Do we really need to go into David? Like, we, there's a list there, isn't there, of the problems you could have with David, despite his trust, despite his deliverance, which, by the way, you want to talk about the king wandering in the wilderness? That's kind of David's existence for the better part of seven years while he hides. This cord is, there we go. I'm trying to find it with my right hand so I can organize it, sorry. Um, the kings of Judah, I mean, this is a list. If you're Satan, subtle twisting, subtle temptation, who has it worked with? Everyone. Where has this plan failed you before? You know, I used to, um, years ago in what feels like a former life, I, I coached a, a high school baseball team. And we were a weird conference because it was a football conference. There was like one legitimate baseball school in the conference. And we came in second to them every year in the conference. And we were like a halfway baseball school. So I'd have like three or four kids who were baseball players. And the rest of my team was really athletic football players. I was trying to teach how to play baseball. So we would go play a couple of these teams that were Basically, all football players playing baseball and great athletes. If they get on base, they're going to run you to death. But if I had one pitcher, and most years I had a pitcher who could run the ball up there about 80, 80 80-something miles an hour. Well, despite how good of an athlete you are, if you don't have enough training in how a baseball swing works, once you clear about 80 miles an hour, you can't hit that. And what would my kids do every year when we're playing these teams? I'm going to work on my curveball, coach. No, you're not. <laughs> not today. <laughs> I see some, we, some, some offensive lineman would step up and hit the ball 500 feet. I'm like, what was that? I threw him a changeup. Why? Throw him a fastball right here. He can't hit it. He absolutely cannot hit it. Throw him a knee-high changeup. He's going to hit it to the moon. What are you doing, son? Just, just throw the fastball. Let's win this by mercy rule so we can go home. You can work on this stuff in practice. When you use that against good teams that can hit. Don't, don't do that now. This, that's just don't Throw the fastball. They can't hit it. That's been Satan for all of history. Throw the fastball. They can't hit it. <laughs> Here's the temptation. Oh, look, they failed again. So what do you do when Jesus shows up? Be honest with you, I'd run the exact same playbook. What does Jesus do? Verse 4, Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Hmm, where is it written? Anybody know? Deuteronomy chapter 8, all the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You don't see any connection to what's going on here in Luke 4 with this, do you? Not at all. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. See, there's the cure for the deception, the actual honest-to-goodness truth, the truth as God has given it, to go back to Scripture and say, no, I don't listen to the lie, I don't listen to the twisting, I know what is and what was and what is to come. 
because I've actually read my Bible and I know what's going on. That's why you see things like John 4. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's why you see teachings like you see in Matthew 6. Do not worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Now, do you think it's any coincidence that Jesus is quoting from something that occurs at the end of the Exodus? No, because when you read Moses' speech at Deuteronomy, you should have questions. Like, you can't just show up at Deuteronomy and go, ooh, speech, yay, because that's what everybody says, right? Ooh, yay, there's a speech. Let's read that. Who is Moses? Why is he giving a speech? Why is he giving these people a speech? What are, what's going on? And then you have to actually read back and understand what's going on in the Exodus. So you can't understand Moses' teaching without understanding the group to whom he is giving that teaching and why the teaching is necessary. Why would you connect back to the Exodus? I've told you this before. You want to understand your prophets, understand the Exodus. You want to understand the Exodus, understand what's going on before it in Genesis. Understand the pictures that are going on in the garden, the representatives of God in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and see the building out of God's people and his recurring promises to them. So that long list of failed kings, what has it taught us? Well, that humanity's got a problem. Humanity's got an obedience problem because humanity has a sin problem, and we can't overcome that. And despite the sacrifices and despite the mercies of God and despite the provision, we keep getting put back in the same position, and we keep doing what? Yeah. It's almost like when you look at your kids and go, like, what did I just say? Because <laughs> you've never said that to children ever, not once. You've never once looked at me and go, what did I just tell you? I do, the, oh, what was, what was going on yesterday? I needed Connor to get something off the table for me in the kitchen. And it's just, Connor, turn around on that table, right to your right, and he leaves the kitchen. I'm going, <gasps> like he walks right by, I'm like, it was right there. And by the way, our kitchen's not massive. It's not like he got lost in it. <laughs> Why? Because I asked him to do something and he was in what? By the way, this has never happened to you in human history either with your sin. I asked him to do something and he was in such a hurry to go get whatever I needed and to be helpful that he wasn't actually hearing what I said. He wasn't actually thinking. He was just thinking, I can help. And he wanted to help, and he wanted to do a good job, but because he's in such a hurry to do something, he's not actually doing anything. You've never been in that spot. I'm in such a hurry to do something good. I'm in such a hurry to get this accomplished that I'm never actually thinking about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Christian, what's the entirety of your life? Understanding why you're doing what you're doing because you're supposed to be doing it unto the glory of God. If you forget the why, you've thrown everything else out the window. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You've forgotten the reason behind it. And the reason behind it is the glory of God, keeping his commandment by actually honoring the Savior who has died for you. That's been the history of humanity. That's why the playbook is what it is. What do we have right here? We have a new king. We have a new prophet. We have a new representative of the people of God. And what is he just told to the devil? <clears throat> no. No. We're not playing that game. We're not going down that road. We have a king rejecting temptation. We have a prophet rightly pointing to the teaching of God and applying it the way that it should be. Verse 5. So Satan led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. He's awful full of himself, isn't he? Now, let's be honest. Does Satan have any actual power? No. No. Uh, Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. I mean, Job 1, one of my favorite point, things to point out in the Bible. Satan has to come before God and say what? Well, God brings up Job, and then Satan has to get permission to go mess with him. Goes back to the beginning. Sometimes the difficulty, sometimes the temptation is the purpose of what's going on. This is why you persevere in trial. It's not like it's an accident. Again, this, the GPS didn't mess up the Holy Spirit. Be like, oh no, we're out in the wilderness where there is no bread. I'm so sorry, Jesus. We will get this figured out. Hold on. Update. Let me. It's like the 1980s again. You're trying to get the TV signal. You got to like hold the antenna and the aluminum foil and stand like a flamingo. <laughs> Yeah, that's not what the Holy Spirit is doing out in the wilderness. You ever, were you ever that, were you that kid, once you got the signal just right, you have to watch it like that? Because <laughs> if you let go, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I was so glad when we got cable. <laughs> anyway, no, Satan is described as a ruler. Things like John 12, judgment is cast, um, judgment is upon this world, and the ruler of this world will be cast out. But let's be honest. 
Satan only rules over this kingdom of sin because God allows it. It's not like Satan's like, I have staked a claim to this planet. It's mine now. Come and take it. He's like, this is mine, right? You're cool with that? Okay, sweet. Awesome. I mean, that, it's, it's more in line with that. Christ is the rightful heir. That's Psalm 2. That's Daniel 7 that we talked about. Was that last week? My brains have, have fried. Yeah, that was last week. I don't know what week it is. I don't know what's going on. Now, what's the temptation here? Because we know this is a lie because Satan doesn't have this kind of authority. So the temptation here is to actually get what you're supposed to have another way. Again, if anybody's allowed to come into the room and say, do you people know who I am? Give me glory. Give me honor. Give me praise. Give me worship in the rule of the kingdom. Jesus is allowed to say that, right? Yes. Yes, he is. How is he supposed to accomplish it, though? Obedience to the Father. Trusting in the Spirit, accomplishing what has been the plan from the beginning. The temptation here is to try to bypass that. That's why, it's, that's why it is what it is. I'll give you all this domain and its glory, its worship, the honor for ruling over all of these places. Why? Why? Because I'm just that awesome and I have that kind of power and authority. One, Satan doesn't have that kind of power and authority. Two, you won't actually get the worship of the world just by ruling over it. If you don't believe me, don't you love your government? <laughs> Can I let you in a little secret? No human in history has loved their government. Well, I mean, a few of them have, but they, they're weird. <laughs> Why? Because some dude you've never met before shows them and goes, hey, all that money you worked really hard for, part of that's mine. What? <laughs> no, it isn't. Oh, you're going to kill me otherwise. Okay, here you go. <laughs> Don't you love that guy? Yeah, no, no, nobody has. That's why we have to have tax collectors because no one in human history has ever gone, here, please, take of my hard-earned labors and appoint it to the, to the wasteful spending of your kingdom. I will rejoice in your theft. <laughs> no one's ever said that. Someone has to come and get it from you, because no one has ever volunteered it. If you don't believe me, why, why do the people that campaign for more taxes never just voluntarily pay more? Because <laughs> unless the government demands that they pay more, they don't what? They don't pay more. So no, no one has ever loved their government. So just because you're in charge and you rule over everything, does that guarantee you honor and worship and glory? No, it's an empty promise. One, he can't give it. Two, even if he could give it because he had this kind of authority, he can't actually give it. Instead, you're supposed to receive the glory when you actually accomplish the mission. Things like James 5. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. This has been the hope of humanity from the beginning. This has been the place that we rest. I mean, if you've ever had a garden, even if you're not a farmer, if you've ever had a garden, I know Vern was, but even if you've, had, if you've ever had a garden, does it do you any good to go out to your tomato plants and be like, grow, grow faster? Do the tomato be like, we're trying? <laughs> it's not how this goes. What must you do? You prepare the soil, you plant, you water, you make sure they have some sunlight, and then you do what? You wait. You wait. I mean, you, you can't hustle it. You can't speed it up. You can try. You know what you're probably going to do? Yeah, you're going to kill it. You're going to mess up. Like, well, you know, maybe if I just dig around, just stop messing with it and just leave it alone. It's like when you cut your own hair and you're like, this looks good. But maybe if I do this and then maybe if I do, no, 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 just, just stop. It was fine 20 minutes ago. Now we got to get a wig. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing in your life, Christian. You have to be patient. That's why you persevere through the trial. That's why you live in the midst of where you live, is that you're trusting in God. How do I know that you're trusting in God? Because you're still persevering to his kingdom in spite of your sin, in spite of yourself, in spite of the difficulties of the world, in spite of everything that's going on, you are still trusting and relying in him. That's your proof of salvation, is that when the world picked you up like a snow globe, and went, Wee! you were like, okay, awesome. Now what? Oh, well, it'll shake you a second time. Oh, we're still going. This is what happens. And you know what the world's going to keep trying to do? You know what your sin's going to keep trying to do? Shake you and shake you and shake you. And what's the proof of your salvation? That every time you're shaken, what happens? You rest in him. You persevere in him. This is the proof. This is what's going on. So that's the temptation. That's what we're trying to work on. Verse 7. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Ooh. Did the, did, the, did the mask just slip a little bit there in verse 7? Just a, I, mean, I thought we were giving Jesus some glory and the rule over it. Now, now, now you need to worship before me and it shall all be yours. This is, this is ultimately what Satan wants. 
Again, this is part of the problem. 1 Corinthians 10. My beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as wise men. Judge what I say. I always love that with Paul. Like, look, check it. There's a place you can look this stuff up. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice is sacrificed to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. This is a reminder here. As you live, as you trust... You are offering sacrifice. The computer has fried. <laughs> no good has come from this. Yeah, is what it is. Nope, oh, there we go. It is awakened. <laughs> it goes back, it goes forward, it does all sorts of fun stuff. Um, as you live your life, you're sacrificing to something. You're following after something. You're trusting in something. You're worshiping something. Satan in your sin would like it to be the wrong thing. Christian, your evaluation is to make sure that what you're doing is the why. That the thing that you're doing is following after the right thing for the right reason. That you are actually offering a sacrifice unto God because that's what you're supposed to be partaking in. Now stop. As you partake in this, you're partaking in the body and the blood of Christ. That's not just communion. That's your life lived out daily. It's a call, as Jesus called often, if I could speak English, we'd be all set. It's a call, as as Jesus called often, to take up your cross, to follow after him, to forsake the world, despise the shame, and actually follow what he has laid down. So, verse 8. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, where is it written again? Somewhere in your Old Testament, right? Who wants to guess which book? Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6. You shall fear only the Lord your God. You shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. No shortcuts, no idolatry, following and trusting in God and in God alone. Why? Because this is the work. Now, go back from Deuteronomy. You have things like uh, the story of Joseph that we actually talked about, Genesis 50. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. In other words, you have what? You have here in verse 8, the king standing firm, the prophet teaching rightly. In spite of the temptation, in spite of the twisting, you have a proper standing upon scripture, a proper standing upon the word that God has given, and a proper rebuke of those who would twist it and lead astray. Let's keep moving. And I can't make any promises on the computer. Did it fry back there? It just lock up on that? Eh, is what it is. Verse 9. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? (laughs) Hey, do me a favor. Just Peter pan this puppy and see what happens. One, bad plan. Don't do that. Um, Two, if anybody ever hits you with this, I was flipping through channels the other day, and sure enough, I saw one of those, is Jesus of the Gospels real specials on? No, I did not watch it. I could not bring myself to do it. The one thing I did watch, hang on, just because it's that time of year, I found, would you believe the Scientologists have their own channel now? They have their own channel spewing propaganda 24-7. I watched like half of one of these specials narrated by L. Ron Hubbard. <sighs> the reason why I tell you to stand on scripture as much as I do and to rest there is because I, we watched like this whole 15-minute presentation and I looked at Cameron and I'm like, what did he just say? I was serious. Like, what did he just say? She goes, I have no earthly idea. I said, that's exactly the point. It was, the whole thing was, stop me if you've heard this before. The whole thing was these subtle little twistings and these psychological evaluations and these power of positive thinking examples that if you're seeking to apply them on your own, you could make an understanding of it. You could apply it in some shape or form or fashion, but it's not what he said. Meaning I could come up with an answer and you could come up with an answer and you could come up with an answer and we would all be able to justify the answer we came up with because there was no actual actual truth in it. There was no actual foundation. It was just gobbledygook 
that made you feel better about yourself and gave you no real answers or no real action to, that you're supposed to do. What does scripture tell you to do? How to follow God, what following God looks like, and why you should have the strength to follow God. So all right, off, off the exit right back in the highway here. That's what we've got going on here. If anybody, but if you ever watch any of those weird Christmas specials and they start freaking you out, yes, Matthew and Luke have different orders for the temptation. Yes, they do. Um, if you're going to ask me what order they probably happened in, I have no earthly idea. Um, Luke includes them in the order that he includes them because Luke actually presents his gospel uh, geographically rather than chronologically. So I've told you this before in Sunday school. I think I've mentioned it in here. Once you get to about chapter nine of Luke, he brings Jesus all the way to the far northern reaches actually out of Israel. And the whole rest of the gospel geographically marches Jesus from outside of Israel to the cross of Jerusalem. That's how Luke presents his information. So it would make sense that he's prevents presenting the temptation. How? culminating in Jerusalem, because that's where the work of Christ will culminate. So Luke, if you, may, if you made me pick, Luke probably changes the order, but Luke changes the order because he wants to go from all the presentations going from the wilderness to the viewing of the kingdoms on the mountain to Jerusalem, because everything for Luke's gospel culminates at Jerusalem. So there you go. So that's where we are. Throw yourself down from here, verse 10, for it is written, ooh, you know you've tweaked him. When the devil is going to quote Bible verses, don't you? I mean, like when Satan's like, oh yeah, you got Bible? I, I got Bible verses too. Watch this. All right. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And by the way, it is written. These are actually legit quotes. It's Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. But what happens here? Let's just say you're Jesus. You go, you know, those are Bible verses. You know what? Let's do what they say. Wee! All right. Either angels don't catch him, which means what just happened to the cross? Like if Jesus Peter pans off the side of the temple and the angels don't catch him, do we have any more Jesus? No, which means we don't have cross. If we don't have any cross, we don't have the fulfillment. We don't have the fullness of time. We don't have the fulfillment of the Father's purposes. We don't actually have redemption, which means everything that has happened in human history up until that point has just kind of been chucked out the window. That's probably bad. That would probably be very bad. Now, that would be plan one. There's probably a worse outcome. What if they do? What if Jesus jumps off the side of the temple and the angels do catch him? Nobody saw that, right? Because nobody's ever at the temple in Jerusalem. <laughs> you know, empty, vacant place. Priests are taking a nap. They had fellowship breakfast that morning. They're all done for. They had cinnamon rolls and muffins. They're out. Um, you know, nobody in the valleys below or the farmlands around or the hills or the city. No, nobody saw the angels swoop down and be like, we got gotcha. you. Yeah, that didn't happen. What happens to Jesus' ministry from that point? I mean, he's having a hard enough time when you get to the middle of John with the crowds because they saw a couple of miracles. What happens when the angels start lugging him around as they flutter about? Do you think that might mess up the work of Christ a little bit? So again, and just again, everything else in human history up to that point, well, yeah, it'll be fine. We can do something else. No, no, no. I point that out for this reason. Satan knows the plan. Always remember, Satan has a Bible, probably read it more than you have probably has better theology than you and me combined. He knows what the plan is. What's he trying to do? Stop the plan. He doesn't want redemption. He doesn't want the accomplishments of Christ. We've got to get it done at a different time in a different way. That's what we're doing here. Hey, hey just, just could, could go that way and don't worship me. Just, you know, prove who you are. That way the plan of God is derailed. Verse 12, Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's again another Bible answer, Deuteronomy chapter six, which is a difficult one to put into context sometimes in this world because that's actually, I think, the one we struggle the most with. I, I kid you, I've told you the story before that I've, I've been in churches where people are like, you know what we should do? We just need to make the plan and trust that God's going to do it. Can we pay for it? Do we have the volunteers? Do we have the space? I mean, I have questions. And you know who the bad guy in the meeting is? Yeah, the guy with the questions always. You know why? Because it sounds really spiritual to say, you know what we're going to do? Stop me if you've ever heard this one. We're just going to put our yes on the table. <laughs> See, some of you, oh, I heard that. I heard that. I have been in that service. I have been in that staff meeting. <laughs> you ever want to get yourself in trouble being in the staff meeting when someone says that out loud and then have my face? Because I go, 
You have a problem with that? Mm, no, I like my job. <laughs> <laughs> I am very passionate about getting paid at the end of this week, and I would, li- I would like to keep my job today. So no, no, I'm not going to say a thing. Mm, we're doomed. We're doomed. But why do we do that? Because it sounds good. Who does it make feel good, though? Us. When I tell you that sin will corrupt, and it will corrupt everything, I mean we will take what's supposed to be a godly thing. You know what we're going to do? We're just going to trust God for everything. Okay, no, who's going to argue against that? But often when we say that, it's so that we can do the thing that we want to do, rather than stop, wait for it, evaluate, think, plan, ask questions, not put the Lord your God to the test, but actually see if he has done this thing. I've said this before to churches, you know, sometimes um, just being faithful and obedient is the easiest, is the hardest thing, and it's the simplest thing at the same time, because what should you do? Well, what happens if nobody volunteers? Then we won't do it. What happens if we don't have any money for it? Then we won't do it. We'll do the thing we have the money for, and we'll do the thing we have the volunteers for, because that's what God wants us to do, because that's what we have the ability and the gifting to do. This was, um, this was the big thing years ago in Michigan. You should make yourself uncomfortable. Look, should you expand your horizons and, and push yourself a little bit in life? Yes. If you are not a people person, should you be the greeter? No. Welcome to church. Here's your bulletin. Good morning, whatever. I mean, <laughs> nobody wants that. And you don't want me doing it either because I have that fake customer service voice. Good morning, welcome to Calvary. Isn't it nice to see everybody? And you're like, oh, this guy's gonna sell me something in about five seconds. I mean, you've met that person too in church. I always tell Cameron, it's the used, it's the used car salesman pastor where you know it's like, it's the fake. Good morning, how is everybody? Everybody in a good mood today? No, because you're going to sell me a Buick in five seconds. I don't care how you say. It had more than a little old lady who drove it back and forth to church. I know it, I know it, I know it. <laughs> but why is that like that? Because you've got someone who's not gifted for the job that they're doing doing that job. Well, why are they doing that? Because it sounded really good to say, you need to make yourself uncomfortable. No, you need to serve where you're gifted. You need to do the things that honor God that you can do best. You need to use your talents unto the glory of God, which means you're gifted for something. You may not be gifted for that thing, but you're gifted for something. Go find what it is and do it. And then do it unto the glory of God. That's part of the lesson here. You don't just live your life willy-nilly going, no, 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 God's going to work everything out. Look, is God going to bring his people into his kingdom and bring his kingdom to this world? Yes. Does that mean we should make it complicated? (laughs) No, no, we do what? We evaluate. Who are you? Why are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? So that you are worshiping and serving unto the glory of God. This is why I joke with you. This is why I don't sing. Like, this is why I'm not up there playing an instrument. You know why? Eight left hands. Can't do it. Like, I have drives Cameron up a wall because Cameron can actually count and keep time and but she doesn't have the fingers for piano she just did her hands when I am in practice I can type like 115 words a minute my hands are great for the piano you know who can't clap and keep a beat (laughs) so if you ever gave me like her rhythm with my fingers we got this but until we like do that whole mind meld thing which that that would be ugly (laughs) That's just not going to happen. So you know what I don't do? I don't kill myself trying to take up musical instruments because I can't. It would be a waste of my time and a waste of my gifts. So what do I do? The things that I can do, the things that I might be halfway good at. This is how you should live your Christian life because, again, this is how you help build the kingdom. This is how you accomplish. If you'd like an Old Testament verse, it's Proverbs 3 in action. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. In other words, don't just sit there and live willy-nilly but actually evaluate. Who are you? What are you? Why are you? So what's the end result of all of this? Verse 13. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. He leaves with his tail between his legs. Why? Because all the pictures of the Old Testament have come to fruition in the right person. So all the failures of the kings of the past the success of Christ, all the wanderings in the wilderness, the failures by Abraham as he went down into Egypt through the wilderness, the failures of Jacob as he wandered off to Laban, the failures of Israel in the wilderness, the failures of Moses, the failures of David, the failures of all the kings of Israel. What do you have here? 
the success of Christ, the surrender to the temptations, because again, humanity has never in a million years surrendered to their own temptations, right? No. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We're tired. She's pretty. I want this. I want that. All of those surrenders. Here is Christ standing firm. All of that not trusting in God, not learning the scriptures, not knowing the word. Here you have the right teaching. So what have we, what have we seen here? The right king standing firm against the right enemy, using the right weapons of battle because he is instructing people rightly in the faith. This is the true prophet. This is the true king. And he's going to demonstrate that he's also going to be the true priest by offering a righteous and good sacrifice. The lesson from scripture, James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you do ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, he says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to joy. I'm sorry, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Read one line. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's a long way of saying... Turn away from the world. Do not surrender to the lust of the flesh, to the desires of the eyes. Do not fall to the temptations, to the lies, to the subtle little twistings and turnings of script, uh, up against Scripture. But instead, what? Be anchored in the Word, trusting in the Spirit that God has given, knowing that it is Christ who has succeeded, it is Christ who has overcome, and that as He has been faithful down through the ages, He will continue to be faithful unto His people, which means what He has promised His people He will deliver. A good kingdom a righteous standing because that is where he has brought them. And as you live, you live unto the glory of God because that is the spirit that he has given to you and that is the hope that he has provided. This is what was accomplished in the work of Christ. This is the hope that we carry day by day. This is where we rest because this is what he has given us. Let's pray.